0: accelerating careers in real estate with nick carman brought to you by mcdonald and company the accelerating careers in real estate podcast is now supported by the urban land institute to find out more about becoming a member please follow the link in the show notes remembering to quote the promo code acre to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership more details at the end of this podcast
1: So welcome back to the Accelerating Careers Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nick Carman, your host, and I've got another cracking episode, but one with a slight tweak for you today. So I'm joined by Dr. Catherine Sandler. Now, Dr. Catherine is one of the longest established executive coaches in the UK, having started her own practice in 1997. Before that, she qualified as a counsellor and also coached London Business School and in Saeed before starting that practice, blending psychological and business experience. And what I'm really, really looking forward to is benefiting from this incredible amount of experience that she's got to share having sort of spent those last sort of 25 years coaching executive leaders, not only in real estate, but across all the business sectors across the UK. So, Catherine, thank you very much for joining me today.
2: Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me, Nick. Uh,
1: now, this is a slightly different sort of episode than, than most. Ordinarily, I'm joined sort of one on one with a leading uh, sort of light from, from real estate. Now, whilst I know you've got some experience having sort of coached within sort of real estate with the likes of British London and Argent, what I was very, very much hoping to do was be able to give our audience and the people who are tuning in here a bit of a slightly different sort of perspective. Now, as a recap, for the last sort of two years, I've been talking about what I've seen as a recruitment partner to real estate about these recurring events or chapters in people's careers. And they are acceleration and learning, leading to periods of consolidation, followed by a spark or a catalyst. And the great thing, I think, is, is I see this in everyone's careers. know, those, those who have, um, have become sort of founders or CEOs and real leading lights, through, through to people who, who haven't quite simply, but enjoy sort of very full careers, but simply haven't got to those same heights. But I think the difference is that I've noticed that people who choose to, to climb those ladders have the ability to play a more active role in their career. And what I want to be able to do from this podcast is be able to share what I think is the lessons that they have learned and I, and I have witnessed. And that is very much around playing a more active role and being able to recognize what phase or chapter you're in in your career. So I am very, very much looking forward to sort of testing this theory, theory out with you. So before I get started, should we dip into a little bit of sort of your, uh, your experience, please, Catherine. And Tell us a little bit more about sort of what on oh, how you you have spent your career within executive coaching.
2: Sure, it's been very interesting thinking about uh, this podcast, Nick, and thinking about all the things people go through in their career. And of course, it's made me think back to some of the key moments in my own career and the fact that uh, when I was um, in my twenties, executive coaching didn't really exist. So it certainly wasn't something I was aiming to move into. Um, but having been very interested in both psychology and organisations and business through a series of quite um, uh, lucky uh, breaks I I found myself in the field and something that I think might be relevant for other people was one moment when I went to a a short course run at the Tavistock clinic in in London Um, but it was all about organisations and groups and the staff included Um, a leading consultant in this area who worked and ran a practice in Paris and I was impressed by him and without really giving it much thought beforehand at the end of the program I went and asked him if he would give me a job and to my absolute astonishment he said yes and that led to three years in Paris working um, for his company which was a huge hugely challenging but also very rich and uh, helpful experience in preparing me, not only for the rest of my career, but teaching me that uh, sometimes you you, you just have to take leaps into the complete unknown, as this was for me. And that then led, when I came back to uh, the UK, it led to further experiences, including working, as you mentioned, at London Business School, and other business schools, while also training as a counsellor. And I really didn't know, did I want to go into counselling and psychotherapy? Did I want to stay in coaching and organisational work? And I realised that the psychological background, the clinical background was hugely helpful. But what I really loved was working with quite driven, high performing people who uh, were generally speaking, pretty functional, but who may have Real blind spots or real areas which are holding them back in in their careers and in their roles as leaders, and that I really enjoyed um, working with those individuals, and I've enjoyed it ever since. I set up my executive coaching practice in '97, as you mentioned, when it barely existed as as a, as a thing. But I've had you know, hugely enjoyable and very privileged career. I think working with primarily very senior people, but also with high potential up and coming uh, men and women in a, a really wide range of businesses and not for profit organisations as well. And every single client I meet is different, even though the themes are often the same. And uh, it's it's for me, it's hugely enjoyable still now, after many years. Um, and I enjoy also sharing you know, my experience with other coaches and, of course, with people like yourself who are interested in uh, in what I do.
1: Uh, and that is a lovely segue because I am incredibly interested. Um, partly because of my my nature, I think I'm quite a nosy sort of curious sort of um, uh, bod. And so I'm really looking forward to whilst we do this conversation and listen, listen to them from your experience and when you and I sort of test out our, our takes on you know, what makes a successful career – is if you're able then to share then some of the experiences you've you've got then from having sort of dealt with uh, these really sort of high performers um, and sort of and, and let uh, myself and our, our audience sort of know about sort of what what you've learned from those individual cases as well that'd be really really grateful so let me let me get stuck into the meat of our conversation so I talk constantly about these three events this learning acceleration sort of phase that typically sort of follows then from uh, the very earliest sort of phases of our career where we're soaking up the information like a sponge and, and we're really sort of propelling our, our, ourselves, throwing ourselves in, in at the deep end, so to speak. What I wanted to ask was, from your experience, what might you be able to help our listeners to say how we might be able to extend this period? Because quite often, I, th- I think you don't, I, uh, certainly this very, the earliest sort of chapters, we don't need to worry too much about how to start it because we're starting a pretty sort of low bar with, you know, we're coming out uh, from possibly sort of uh, academics into the real world. So we, we must sort of can't help ourselves with falling into this phase. But how can we make the most of it?
2: Mm. Well, it is a really interesting question. Uh, what I would say is that even when we start out um, in our first role, our first job, perhaps after university or after doing some training, um, I, I think there are lots of things that are very helpful in in actually getting oneself noticed and learning even more than one might already. But I do take your point that of course at the beginning it's a huge learning experience, whether you like it or not, because one's adjusting to to the workplace, which is a big shock, especially say after after being a student. And also, you know, there is so much to learn and every day one is soaking up uh, new experiences and trying to, to kind of keep up with what's expected. But I think once young people moving into that, that stage of their career have settled down and it's become uh, something they feel they've got a handle on and, you know, it's not all quite so new, then I think you're absolutely right. It's critical at that point, not just to settle for feeling, well, I've learned what I need to do. The boss is reasonably happy. I know what's expected and I'll just carry on. I think people who, who are ambitious to enjoy their career and develop their career have to start thinking about being very proactive because it's interesting. I, I, I think most of your listeners, if they ask their grandparents, if, if they have grandparents still or even their parents, how many different jobs they had in their lifetime, certainly the grandparent generation or the great grandparents it would have been mainly one maybe one or maybe two if you ask now it's it's an absolute oddity if somebody stays in the same job for their entire career i mean it's it's practically unheard of so and that that applies both to different jobs within the same field and also moving to different fields and that that there's just been a massive change over the last 50 years around this and uh, you know there's there's uh, really so much now that we're living longer as well, you know, work is 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 going to be something that lasts for a very long time. And something else that is no longer the case is that one just joins an organisation and waits to be promoted. It's really all about taking charge of your own career from as early a stage as possible and seeing yourself as kind of me, Inc. And thinking about if I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'd like to uh, keep learning and take more responsibility, what are the various things that I can do? And, you know, examples would include asking plenty of questions without making a nuisance of yourself, offering to help on a project that interests you, even if it's not part of your job description, asking to shadow a more experienced colleague, um, informing yourself about the business you work what 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 was the history what's its strategy showing curiosity and interest what's gone well for this business what's what's not gone so well you know follow the news read read if if you're in the property business in london you know read books about the city read biographies of successful people in your field and of course for nowadays i would say go into the office as much as you can and of course hybrid working partly working from home is it looks like it's here to stay but there's a risk of losing the learning that we can have by simply being around other other colleagues and particularly more experienced colleagues. Um, I could go on. I've got a few more suggestions, but let, oh, let uh, me just stop there for it, a okay. moment. <laughs> Shall I carry on with the yeah, link? Yeah,
1: please do. I am re- really enjoying this.
2: Okay. Well, you know, people have annual appraisals very often in, in their organisation with their boss, but these can sometimes be a bit perfunctory and not terribly helpful and yet getting feedback from your boss at your appraisal, but also outside of your appraisal and from people other than your boss, uh, other senior people or peers about what you're doing really well, what you seem particularly good at, what you have a flair for and how you could improve. What are the areas that you haven't yet learned about or what are the things you know that you're struggling with a little bit you don't find so easy? and You know, curiosity is so important, but a certain humility is also important. You know, finding out what you're good at, but also finding out what you could be better at is really important. First of all, you get critical data that you should take seriously. Of course, people's perceptions of you are not necessarily objective truth, but they do influence how people relate to you. So if you're seen as somebody who is um, enthusiastic, hardworking, collegiate, and uh, you know good at thinking up new ideas, then you're more likely to be invited to uh, come on more interesting projects, extend what you're involved in or be promoted, than if you're perceived as somebody who is a bit of a lone ranger, doesn't really collaborate very well, just does what he or she is asked to, but never goes that step further. You know, so so perception is very important and perception to a large extent is down to you. You know, what what am I doing that will make sure that people see me in the way I want to be seen? Now, where it starts, I think to do this, where it starts is is having some self-awareness because it's very difficult to think about how do I want people to see me if I don't have much sense of what I really enjoy and I'm good at and I'm not so good at. And um, for many years with colleagues, um, we set up back in 2008 and have run a a program specifically aimed at women in early and mid stages of career. It's called the Talented Women's Impact Program, and we usually run it in house. And it it it's actually relevant, just as relevant to many men. But it started at a time when there was more and more awareness that you know there is a gap between how women are are uh, promoted and developed and men. So so we focused on women, but it does apply to everybody. And and the points there about. Thinking, what is my brand? And people are often a little bit surprised when we bring up the the brand word when it comes to themselves. But what, what that really means is thinking about and we ask people to, to just jot down three words that describe them to start with. And then to develop those in, into kind of rounded statements and then to make those statements as strong as possible so that they almost embarrass themselves. So I'm thinking of of one person who, you know, one, one young woman who really was very modest and quite shy. And it was very hard for her to write these things down. But through having a conversation, we pulled out that one of the things she was really excellent at was um communicating complicated things to to other people because she had one or two colleagues who struggled with um, the particular area she was in with some of the technical sides. And she mentioned how much she enjoys almost coaching them to understand. And she finds she had a real knack for explaining complicated things in in a really simple and impactful way. And, you know, we talked with her about what an incredibly useful skill that is at more senior levels, that to be able to communicate clearly and in a way that people understand and feel inspired by. And she'd never thought of herself as potentially being an outstanding communicator. But that actually became one of the uh, prongs, if you like, of of her brand. And she began to use it more, um, not just in helping colleagues who were struggling, but actually, she started volunteering at work to talk, you know, do talk, make talks in other contexts to kind of present and share information about what was a small but growing business to some of their stakeholders. I mean, I'm, I'm compressing the period over which this happened. But, you know, it's about really thinking, learning, asking other people so that you can end up, you know, what knowing what you enjoy and, and what a couple of your real signature strengths are. But similarly, you also need to be aware, you know, w- what What? are your weaker areas? And um, emotional intelligence is incredibly important. People who are brilliant technically, very confident, and, you know, will step forward and do a good job in many areas. If they annoy people, if they make other people feel small, if they are always talking about themselves, if they talk over others, all of these kind of critical leadership qualities that are relevant at any stage in your career, you know, it won't get you far. And in fact, recently, I heard a, a, a story from a, an, an HR director, where keen to develop the best people in, in their business, and this was in your sector, Nick. Several young men, as it happened, had been told that they were seen as high potential and were, if you like, on the fast track. And unfortunately, this led to an outburst of extremely arrogant and uh, inappropriate behaviour by these very young men who um, you know obviously had huge potential, but whose emotional intelligence then emerged as far from mature and and they and they had to be really helped to understand that they were not going to go any further if they couldn't get their people skills right. So, you know, if you have great people skills, that's a huge plus. If you have great technical skills, strategic skills, those are also huge pluses. But ultimately, the more senior you become, the more critical the people skills are. And I'll maybe come back to that later. But these are things people should be thinking about early in their career. Another couple of tips, as well as all that thought about yourself and what do you offer, is um, actually seeing whether you can find a mentor, if that is somebody you know already, perhaps, who you feel is open to giving you some advice and experience from their own career. That's great. But I would always put more emphasis on finding a sponsor, because sponsors are senior people in your organisation who are, influential when it comes to promotion and if they have you in their sights as somebody who they want to see promoted and see develop, that's unbelievably valuable but you can't just go up to someone and say will you be my sponsor the way to do it is to identify somebody senior whom you admire and you 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 want to um, get closer to and find out inform yourself what, what is it that they're mainly doing? What does their role mainly involve? And then outside of your own responsibilities, go to them and say, I'm really interested in what you're doing and I, you know, I, want, I want to develop myself as much as possible. Is there anything I can do to help on any of the projects and responsibilities that you're in charge of? So it might mean some extra work, but it may mean that you, you can help in some way or other a senior person with, with some aspect of their work. And if you then do that well with enthusiasm and competently, it, it's, it's the best present you could give yourself because that senior person will, will have become your sponsor through that process because they will see that you have initiative, you have all these qualities and, and they'll sort of see it in action.
1: Well, Catherine, that is in, that's incredible amount of sort of really, really good uh, advice, and I suspect sort of many of our listeners will be sort of uh, rattling down sort of all, all these sort of tips. Um, and you must promise me, once we're not on air, to, to allow me three guesses to see if I can if I can sort of identify who those who those sort of uh, alpha males were as well. Please do. <laughs> um, the, there's a there's a flip side, I think, to my first questions, which was sort of how can we extend this period? Are there any hurdles that Com- that you see in your clients and customers that will trip them up when they are in these learning accelerating phases?
2: Well, you know, we just t- touched on the one that if, you're, if your ambition and enthusiasm and work, uh, technical skills outrun your emotional intelligence, that is probably the number one hurdle. Because much more so than when I first started um, coaching in business, uh, they You know, I'm not saying that it's as good as it could be yet, but there is much more awareness now, so much more awareness that uh, if you, you know, let's say cheese people off, keeping this um, polite, then, you know, that that is career limited in many situations. You know, there are many there are many companies where unfortunately people at the top are behaving with very poor uh, people skills and, uh, you know, that that then you might be um, promoted rapidly. But especially if you want to move into larger organisations or other organisations with better cultures, you need to make sure that you're somebody who is seen as collaborative, empathic, uh, able to have difficult conversations as well, but conversations that might be tough um, if there's something you're not happy about, you feel is is not being done correctly or there's somebody in your team who's not performing correctly, but doing it in a calm and, and skillful way rather than losing your temper so a lot of it is about emotional self-regulation really at work which isn't always easy because work can be very stressful and we bring ourselves to it and we get very emotionally involved but people who are seen as uh, you know losing their temper putting other people down constantly talking over them failing to develop those people in their team uh, you know however good they are technically that that will hold you back if not immediately in due course, because I know this because I have very senior people who are tremendously valuable to their organisations, sent for coaching sometimes because their behaviour has become unacceptable, even if it's been tolerated over many years, it's now just not acceptable and either they change or they have to go. So, you know, get get it right early on is my advice here. And I think the, the other hurdle that of course comes up is what happens when you know, you feel you would like to be promoted, you would like, or you would at least like to have some more challenge and some more interest in what you're doing, because you've mastered the role that you have, and you feel a bit limited. Now, you know, I would say to clients that the door is always there, you can always leave your organisation and look for a job elsewhere. But there's a lot one can do before ta- you know, exiting through that door. And again, I think um, I, I remember very well the you know, I learned a lot from this quite early in my career. I was coaching somebody who worked in a big bank and he was kind of mid-level, but very much high potential. He he was really uh, both smart, but also just a delightful man who was very supportive of others and very uh, disciplined, competent. I mean, he, he was great. Uh, he wasn't a rebel, though, and he was looking, if you like, in the structure for what the next promotion might be, and he couldn't quite see it. But his immediate boss was a bit of a rebel, and and had uh, you know was was a bit more uh, had had a lot of oomph, and and had actually kind of fought his way up to to the level where he was through through being quite outgoing and offering himself onto various projects and various opportunities. And he advised my client. He said, if you wait to see the job that you want to move to next, you could wait a long time you're a level now where you need to look at what this part of the bank needs and create your own job and go to our big boss and say, I think somebody needs to be doing this and I'm the person who could do that. And it was just, it was career changing advice for my coachee who was not the most, you know, like I say, he was a bit conformist really, um, though very talented. And this kind of lit a light bulb You know, a light bulb went on in his mind when when he heard this advice. And I very much supported it as well, I remember, thinking it was absolutely right. And he went off and he did exactly that. He worked out where there was a gap, where somebody at his level or a bit higher could really contribute um, value. And he was, you know, given a more senior job really of his own making. And what was great to see is that um, a year later, he was actually moved to be in charge of a spin-off of the bank that was linked to it, but was in effect a little startup. So my rather kind of um, you know conventional client who I'd been working with initially ended up being an entrepreneur and absolutely loving it. So that point about being proactive and looking, first of all, you have to know the things about what you're good at and what you like doing. You really need to know yourself, but then you can. Try and see for yourself if there's something you could contribute to the organisation. If you just sit and wait for somebody to come and tap you on the shoulder and kind of give you the, uh, you know, the, the the medal of promotion, that often doesn't happen. Especially in you know smaller organisations, maybe don't have a huge number of of jobs, senior jobs just waiting. But even in large organisations, proactivity is is key. Well then.
1: We talked about how to extend the period. We've talked about how to avoid those uh, those obstacles and pitfalls. Um, but there is an inevitability, and I've seen it over and over again, that this phase of learning and acceleration will wane and we move into that next period of you know, certainly what I, I refer to as being that consolidation or others might, might refer to being sort of a plateau whereby we're putting into practice lots of those lessons. Uh, and to and to so many, that. that um, certainly the earliest sort of fate that feels really positive we're getting patted on back a lot congratulated a lot um and in some ways we probably we're enjoying a lot probably a, a lot of the benefits of, of all the hard work that's gone in before it but to so many of my guests they describe this as, as soon becoming frustrating and bored because they're lacking that um that challenge one well the question i wanted to ask you directly is How would you advise, you and I have both talked about having open eyes, being sort of playing an active role in your careers, uh, being sort of self-reflective. How should our listeners be able to recognise when they are in this phase? Comfort zone, plateau, consolidation, call it what you will.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I I suppose really it comes down to often a sense of perhaps just not feeling as excited or energised. By work as one had been before, so it can be quite you know it can creep up what you're describing uh, quite slowly because it's often not that people are are very unhappy. I mean I certainly have coached people who in in their late twenties, early thirties realised they've they've gone down the wrong road for them. You know they've they've gone into uh, you know my, I remember somebody went into marketing in a large business and he. He'd done an MBA, and he just wasn't happy. and he ended up moving to business journalism, which suited him so much better. And I've had a you know I coach, a lawyer who ended up moving to work in a in a big mobile phone company and so on. So that you know that there, there is that. And people in that category, I think really know that it's more than just a consolidation period, it's a kind of malaise and asking themselves different questions difficult questions about all the effort I've made to go to university get my first job, get my second job, train, everything else. This actually isn't for me. But I think, you know, that's a small minority, fortunately, because it's quite tough to make those transitions. Though I would generally suggest people do cut and run rather than stay in an area that just doesn't suit them. But you're talking about something that perhaps is a bit more normal, that we just settle down. And so bit by bit, we might become aware that, you know, it's just not so exciting anymore and it just all feels a little bit routine. Now sometimes that phase coincides with people perhaps settling down and starting a young family, you know so when you've got kids especially at the beginning you have your first baby, you maybe have another one, you know, perhaps your partner is you know you're both trying to work and look after the family. it's a a stressful time. And it's a time in life where suddenly extended family can become more important, good friends become more important, and work can take a little bit of a backseat. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think there can be periods when if work is not so exciting, and you're just consolidating, I think that's absolutely fine. But as you say, many of your other guests, you know, are are often ambitious people. I've listened with interest to many of your other uh, podcasts. And of course, the more ambitious the individual, the more they are likely not to want to be just coasting along for a while, however convenient it may be. And then I think actually a lot of the, a lot of the suggestions I was making for the first time round kind of apply again, really going into greater depth at this point around, you know, your own leadership brand at this stage. What do you, because at this level, you will be offering leadership of some kind or another to others because you're not brand new and you may not have leader in your title, but you will be more senior than others. You will probably have a team that you might be managing and leading. So from a leadership brand point of view, what are your standout two or three qualities? And often to get to those, you can also think about what are the things you really enjoy and that energise you, as well as what are the things that people have said you're good at? And... um, what you need to do is then also sit down and think of examples. What what are times, thinking back, which were real highlights for me? It, when I'm working with groups in coaching, I, I often start by asking everybody to prepare what's called personal best, a little story that they can tell from their career where they had a real challenge, but they drew on their inner uh, abilities and their leadership strengths, and they managed to uh, overcome the challenges and kind of save the day you know it could be all sorts of different situations it's fascinating listening to these stories but but it's telling a story around you know something happened uh, a, a business i can remember one that was really at risk of, of of folding because there'd been a change in the in the environment their main customer had left them they were in software And things looked really, you know, the investors weren't very happy. Things were really very dodgy. And this person was not at the top of the organization, but they did have a crucial role and they were very well networked. And they made it their business to go and talk to the stakeholders and to uh, convey uh, what was being done inside the organization, how they were going to turn things around. And, you know, his relationship qualities, his communication qualities, which were a big part of his brand, were were something that really made a huge difference and he used them also internally to keep the morale up of others when this when this crisis hit so you know really thinking back to times when you had a personal best you did something that you felt proud of and made a difference can help you first of all realize well it's not like that now so i do need to do something but it can also kind of get you back there and get you motivated enough to start thinking okay what What is my next opportunity? What is there in my current organisation? If there isn't anything, can I look outside? Do I want to look outside? Or do I want to try and be creative internally and see if there's something else that I could be busy doing that isn't in my job description? that i would enjoy so somebody for example who loves developing other people i'm thinking of someone now who really really had a talent for bringing others on he he offered to become a mentor for the kind of graduate intake and to and to accelerate their learning in the first six months of them joining the company and um and and the ceo was very happy for him to do that because there'd been quite a lot of turnover in some of the recruits and people were not always being motivated to 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 engage and stay in the company and he kind of created that role for himself and he absolutely loved it and it brought back uh, a lot of the pleasure he had out of work he, he was still doing his day job um though he'd cut down on on one or two areas and he was still obviously contributing to making a profitable organization but he was contributing in addition or instead of some of the things he'd been doing he was contributing in a different way and um he he really enjoyed that. And he realised, you know, he was a people person. And he realised how much uh, he needed to be developing others in whatever aspect of his career he went into.
1: And that leads us really nicely then, I think, to that, the third phase, chapter, call it what you've been, uh, about where I I characterise these as being sort of spark and catalyst. And you've, you've described so many great ways for people to to be aware of the stage that they are at and to, through almost sort of introspective sort of review in terms of thinking about what their strengths, you know, what do they enjoy the most, I think have the ability then to create or sort of maybe at the very least give themselves some pointers as to in which direction might this spark or catalyst come from. So I won't ask you a question in terms of how to create those. I am interested in something that to sort of to, to share with you and see what your thoughts are and it's one of my observations when I get to interview my guests. And, and that is that I guess typically see opportunities that others don't. They they climb out of these consolidation periods because they see something or see an opportunity that, that others, I think, would not have seen. Or they jump opportunities that others just simply wouldn't because they're too risky. They're just too wild. They're too maverick. From your experience from the sort of the people you have coached, the people who have truly got this sort of, these upper echelons in terms of leadership positions across any industry, mm. I suppose, are they bigger risk takers, or are they just better at judging that
2: risk? That's a very interesting question. Some of them are, are risk takers, but not all. And I think for the ones who are not really clearly risk takers, then that issue of of judgment. Um, is absolutely critical. And in a sense, you know, one has to have good judgment right the way through one's career, because there's risks at every stage of one kind or another. And and also, you know, if one is going to push oneself into trying something new or going and, you know, having it, whether it's having a an, an, a chat with the boss that you've initiated when you're 25 about what your ambitions are and what you'd, you know, what you'd really like to do next, and seeing whether the boss could give you any any useful feedback, for example, there's a risk there, in in the sense that you know you, the boss might respond uh, negatively and you know be be unhelpful, which in fact is not that much of a risk, because usually if it's if if you ask in the right way, most bosses are, are, are happy to talk to you. But I, I'm just making the point that managing and judging risk is is actually a really good theme to think about right through one's career. But I think. When one's looking at the more senior people who've got a bit stuck in a rut, they do struggle with risk. I can think, I can give you a couple of examples of people who've really jumped and it's been fantastic to take a big risk and it's worked out. And I can also think of people who uh, have hesitated to do that and some of the difficulties they've had. So one person I'm thinking of who I've coached recently is a not not just very very bright man who works in uh, one of the a big, a big professional partnership, but um, he's also a bit different in his strengths and interests from many of his colleagues. Um, in that he's very creative, and uh, you know is 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 a bit less structured than many of them, but has really excellent ideas that are a little bit out of the box. And he's felt at times a bit constrained in a partnership where most people's personalities are a little bit more. Um, structured, you know, step by step, um, very good technically, but perhaps less creative. So he's felt himself to be a little bit of a fish out of water at times in his career. But he's got to a point, and this this happened during the the coaching period, um, he, he was exploring a potential new marketplace for his area of of the firm that hadn't been thought of before. And he applied his creativity to that. And it ended up being incredibly successful because he was able to lead and develop internally in, in, in his organisation a whole new kind of mini business for for clients that was really taken up and they became the market leaders in this area. Others followed, but he he had forged the way. So that, you know, he really sticks in my mind as somebody who became so enthused and and engaged and delighted by his his working life absolutely loving it as well as doing fantastic things for his firm uh, whereas when i first met him he was he was feeling a bit straightjacketed so so that that was a lovely you know experience for, for me as well to see him flourish like that i i will mention one or two people i've worked with who've who've needed to do something different but who've really struggled to take the step and i always think of it I have this visual image of one or two clients who, if you like, you think of those very high diving boards in the Olympic pools. And when those Olympic champions, they kind of walk to the end of the diving board and they, they start sort of bouncing up and down and their toes are right at the edge. And they bounce a few times and then they dive. And I've had a couple of clients who were doing bouncing all right, but they never dived. You know, they just they just bounced and bounced. And I used to wish I could kind of tiptoe down that runway and give them a little helpful nudge so so that they would dive. Because I think if people stay in the same organization sometimes for a very long time, sometimes it's too long and they become very anxious about taking the plunge into the outside world. And I'm all for loyalty with one's organisation. If you can make it work in the company you're in already and you're happy there, great. But you know, that's not always possible. Organisations are pyramid shaped. People get to a certain level. Not everybody can be the CEO or the COO or the strategy director. So sometimes, you know, or, or the head HR person. So sometimes one needs to think about making that break. And, it, and if you've been there, in my experience, more than about 15 years, it can become quite difficult. And especially where people, both of the people I'm thinking of, were very relationship focused and they loved the businesses they'd been part of for so long. They really felt so connected to them and they were very iconic businesses as well. So there's also that fear that if I leave some, somewhere that's a household name, you know, I can never come back. Maybe I'll have, I'll have just moved myself out of paradise. And I can't get back in and it'll all be a disaster. The fact is that when those two people did dive into the pool and when I think of others who've, who've taken risks in that way, I cannot think of one of them who's regretted it. I really can't. Because to get to the point where you make a break like that, you've become increasingly, let's say, underwhelmed, if not outright unhappy. So, you know it is a risk. you don't know what you're diving into often if you've been somewhere for a very long time, but it's in my experience uh, nearly always the right thing to do
1: so catherine and I'm, I'm sorry to say we need to start wrapping this up, but i have inc- I have been sort of listening to this enthralled and I'm, I am sure so of our listeners. If I can ask you one final question, we've talked about lots and lots about sort of external factors and, and sort of how our, um, our sort of listeners might be able to react to those. What about sort of the, the, some of the internal factors about sort of the characteristics of, of leadership? Is there anything that you have recognized from the people you have been coaching over the past 25 years that you might be able to share with us?
2: yeah well, it's it's a good question because when somebody comes into coaching, um of course, there are all sorts of very practical, specific issues relating to their role and their business or organization. You know, they may be in the middle of uh, of a big change process. they they may, be getting ready to transition to a new role, you know, so we'll, we'll focus on on those day-to-day specifics, the, the things that are front of mind. But at the same time, I'm also doing my best to understand um, what makes this person tick as a leader, what are their strengths, and what are the areas where they could be even more effective? Because these are usually very competent people, for sure. But um, there are ways in which we can all develop ourselves to become more skillful and more effective over time and and that that I see that as my job not just being there to talk through how they might handle uh, specific challenges as they come up, but, but to help them think about themselves as a leader. So, to to try and keep this simple, I would say there are two very big categories, very big general categories that, that I find are common. So, first of all, it is people who are very task-focused, often very driven, very energetic, full of enthusiasm, often in very senior positions. And they bring tremendous value to uh, to their organizations, and they can be very inspiring to their their team and their their followers and other stakeholders. However, under pressure, and of course we're all under pressure at time, and when we're under pressure, we can revert to our less skillful selves. These are the people who can become irritable or who can become a bit critical or who can even lose it and uh, get quite cross with people. And especially nowadays, as I mentioned earlier, that, that, is, that, is, that doesn't go down very well. It, you can get away with that for quite a while, but you're not going to take heart and hearts and minds with you if people feel snapped at, put down, humiliated or overlooked. And in fact, if, it, if it's more serious than that, people are, are really held to account nowadays, um, uh, you know, if, it, if it's edging into, into the bullying arena. But I'm mainly talking really not, not about bullies, but about people who, uh, if you know, they, they they feel suddenly that they're not in control of what they're doing, or something's gone wrong, or you know they're frustrated and they're feeling anxious. It comes out in this uh, in, in this critical or, or irritated way, um, and and of course it can happen to any of us occasionally. But if that's a bit of a bit of a theme then that's something I would like to help the person change because it, will, it won't it will be great for their followers, but it will also hold them back. And so what we work on then is how they can become more aware of the triggers that uh, lead them to not being their best selves, but to being uh, you know a less skillful version of themselves and to try and anticipate uh, when those triggers might be coming along and to develop strategies for um, staying calm. Essentially, it's about staying calm and uh, not 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 losing their temper or becoming irritated and also having strategies if it does happen for going and making a genuine apology um so so that people you know feel that they've understood that they did step on their toes or they were unempathic or they were rude and and a good apology can can be enormously helpful but they can't just rely on constantly apologizing we really work on you know, trying to to change that behaviour, change that pattern. And very often, these individuals lack a certain confidence. People can't see that. But deep down, they can feel a bit insecure. And then it's when something looks as if it's going wrong, and they might be shown up as not being totally in control or competent. That's often when they're triggered. So this this is quite, you know, quite deep psychological stuff at some level. But another level, it's quite simple. It's about helping people find ways to manage their behaviour under stress. And, Then there's another group. And, um, you know, we tend to think that this this applies more to women. And I think a lot of women do fall into this category, but plenty of men do as well. And these are more relationship-focused individuals who are also excellent at all the technical aspects of, of their leadership role, but but are very empathic and very tuned to others. And one could call them, I, I guess, people pleasers sometimes because where these people can run into trouble is uh, avoiding conflict. So I started work recently with a really... Uh, you know, very impressive uh, COO, but um, in his team, he he had an incredibly difficult person who was very manipulative, not performing, constantly missed deadlines, wouldn't respond. But um, my client was um, kind of just paralysed because this difficult individual would burst into tears if he if he tried to hold her to account, and he he felt you know, he had to step back. And so, you know, he, he, he was really paralyzed. And yet, this was causing enormous problems in his team. And so I helped him to develop some assertive skills, which is where you you are, assertiveness is not about being aggressive, but it's about being very calm, but having a difficult conversation and saying, I see you're upset. However, you know, the the deadline has passed now three times and you know that this piece of work is critical to what we're doing. And I have to insist that, you know, I have that piece of work. And if you can't produce it, you will need to, you know, you need to explain why. So in other words, he, you know, I told him, let let the tears subside and just quietly go back to your key message. You can be nice about it, but you can be clear this is, this is a, an important message to deliver. And, and that, on that example, it, it did actually work very well because the person concerned realised that um, becoming upset wasn't going to get the boss offer back. And that's just one little example. And these, these, are, these clients are lovely people. The problem is that, you know, especially when there's a stressful or conflictual situation to deal with, they can avoid dealing with it. And that in turn creates problems uh, in the short term. And in the long term, and can be career limiting if one is aiming for the very top, because if one is not seen as being able to deal with difficult people or with conflict situations, uh, you know that that's that that's seen as 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 a, as a deficit. So it's not about trying to get everybody to be the same. We all have to play to our strengths. But I do do a lot of work with people around, you know, what are the triggers that move you from being the best leader you can be to being not such a good version of yourself and again self-awareness is sort of plays such an important part in this but i'm always keen that's why i went into coaching rather than therapy nick is because i like to see results i'm not patient enough to just work quite that slowly with people over many years i like to see behavioral change that is really practical and that makes a real difference but of course in order to help people make behavioral change you have to help them understand what some of the, uh, the underlying dynamics are that might be holding them back or making things uh, hard for them to do.
1: Well, Dr. Catherine Sandler, I've got to say a huge thank you so much for sharing the time with us to, uh, to talk through your experience and inevitably we're not about to boil down 25 years worth of executive coaching into the master sort of 45 minutes but I for one have definitely really really enjoyed this and it's almost been feeling like sort of uh, you've been sort of coaching me as I've been sort of reflecting on everything you've been saying and sort of and thinking about sort of my own experience uh, and I'm sure so many of our listeners uh, will do too as well so thank you so much once more for, uh, for giving up that time to do such a thing.
2: Well, thank you, Nick. I, I've enjoyed it enormously. I mean, I'm very lucky, you know, 25 years in and more, I, I still love what I do. So the opportunity to talk about it is uh, is a gift for me. And um, thank you very much for inviting me on your excellent uh, series.
0: The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.